John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a, was a Sabbath. We all need healing. The world needs healing. I feel like it's never before in my lifetime. The church needs healing. I feel like it's never before in my ministry. We each need healing. I feel that it's never before in my own life. The posture of Jesus and the gospel, really you can reduce it down to this. It's an invitation to God's true healing. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He, he said that right after he talked about the fact that he had come to establish the shalom of God in the world. When Jesus launches his ministry, his public ministry in Matthew 4.23, the good news and God's healing are linked together. We read, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When sending out 72 disciples into the world, one instruction to them is this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When John the Baptist was in prison and it didn't look good and he was doubting whether Christ was the Christ, no matter how you read it, he wasn't sure. And he said, how do I know he's the one? And they, Jesus said to the men who came to find that out, look at the people who've been healed. Lame are walking, blind are seeing, the poor are being cared for. Someone said it this way, in the kingdom of God, healing is the default position. Hear that. In the kingdom of God, healing is the default position. Now, Let's talk about what that does not mean. That does not mean suffering, sickness, and pain are not real. That does not mean that faith in Jesus Christ magically, automatically cures us of all our ailments. But it does mean this. It does mean the living Christ, you know, the, the Jesus who's in the room that we've been talking about since Easter Sunday... It means he walks with us. 
that even when suffering is not alleviated, even when grief is still raw, even when death is an unwelcome guest, the healing presence of Jesus is with us. So as we move toward Pentecost, which is in two weeks, where we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, let's imagine the healing presence of God for the world. Let's imagine the healing presence of God for the world that's available through the active presence of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the world needs. This is what I need. This is what you need. This is what we need. The healing power of God in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this morning we're going to sit with someone who can maybe help us learn something about this. Now I need you just to imagine something. This is a great day to imagine this, by the way. I'd like you to imagine on the north end, in the shadow of the north end of our facility, there's that field, right? I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine a pool. Today's a good day to imagine a pool out there, right? I want you to imagine a pool that's as big as a football field, right? 20 feet deep. I'm kind of hoping that my imagination would actually produce that by about 1 o'clock today, when it's about 90 degrees, right? But imagine that pool out there in the shadow of the north end of our church. And then I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that the worst of the worst of people suffering in Nashua are all gathering out there. Think about the worst diseases. Think about the worst ailments. Think about the worst addictions. Think about the worst, the saddest suffering, the hardest places. People plagued with mental illness. People plagued with addiction just flocking to this pool on the north end in the shadow of our church. And then imagine this. Imagine that we don't let them in because we're afraid that they're too sick, that they're too unclean, that they... Well, that gives you a picture of what's happening in John chapter 5. Because in the pool, in John chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda, around the pool, on the way to the pool, right outside the north wall of the temple area in Jerusalem, people are looking for healing, but they're looking for it in a myth. If they stir the water enough, someone's going to get healed. And you know, just didn't happen. See, this was a place of suffering and heartache and disillusionment and disease and rejection and isolation and loneliness and disappointment. Verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. That's how big that pool was. Could you imagine how many people there were? Right outside the doors of the church, in the shadow we cast, not just in this neighborhood, not just around here, but remember, remember, you're the church, I'm the church. So wherever I cast my shadow, wherever you cast your shadow, right in the shadow that we cast is a pool like Bethesda. Look around the pool of our world right now, in this moment. 
the distraction and the disruption and the instability, the disintegration and the division of the last two and a half years has amplified and exposed the gaping wounds of our world. Wounds of loss and fear, disconnection and loneliness, brokenness and pain that existed before two and a half years ago, but has just been cracked open. Not to mention the personal suffering that probably each of us in different levels has experienced and encountered. But here's what I want us to do. Don't discount the losses we have known. Don't discount them. As a community, maybe as a family, as a culture, don't discount them. Don't simply debate away the fracturing of families and churches and communities. Don't dismiss the disorientation and disruption we have all struggled with as the mythological God of certainty has evaporated. That's been our God in many ways, certainty, but it's so uncertain. Over one million people have died in some way as a result of pandemic. It was reported in 2021 that we had the single highest level of opioid deaths in the history of the United States, 108,000. Since the murder of George Floyd, the racial tension and divide has deepened, as has the seething rhetoric. J.R. Briggs comments about the last couple years, and he says, few spaces of our, of our world have been left untouched by the unrelenting waves of crises we've experienced. Just wave after wave after wave. And then in a world that's never more connected with social media and technology, we have become, with all the promises of technology, we have become more anxious. We're a more anxious world. Tom Standard said this. Check this out. The information supplied was like a drug. People swiftly became addicted. Users of this global information network were kept in continual excitement without time for quiet and rest. Wow. Mark Sayers comments and says, but like all drugs, there was a powerful side effect. Anxiety. Oh, by the way, they're not talking about 21st century social media. They're talking about the 19th century introduction of the telegraph. They're looking back in history and they're seeing how that new technology in the 19th century created all of this anxiety. What about in this world we live in that is this 21st century world of unlimited information, instant communication, immediate connection and gratification? We have everything that we were promised and we've never been more anxious as a world. Before the COVID pandemic, a pandemic of loneliness plagued us then. Prophetically, Henry Nouwen wrote years ago, loneliness is without doubt one of the most widespread diseases of our time. 
Out of all of this pervading loneliness, many cry, is there anyone who really cares? Is there anyone who could take away my inner sense of isolation? Is there anyone with whom I can feel at home? Is there anyone? And then you add to that those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Where cancer came back, as we mentioned during prayer. Or the surgeries there, where our bodies betray us. I realized that yesterday after I rode my bike and I got off my bike and I said, I really am 62 years old. <laughs> right? Where we're, where we're encountering the physicality of our human limitation. Is there anyone who really cares? Is there anyone who can take away my inner sense of isolation? Is there anyone with whom I can feel at home? Is there anyone who can touch my life? Enter the one who really cares, who is always with us, who welcomes us in the home of God's love, who would later say in the Gospel of John, I am the gate for the sheep. Here's what's interesting. That pool we're talking about outside the temple... Some historians believe it was a pool that was used for the staging area for the sheep that were going to be sacrificed in temple worship to prepare them. That that pool had a name, Pool of Bethesda. It means the pool of mercy. Enter the one who later said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sees the man and he meets the man and he touches the man. And what Jesus asks the man, he asks you today. He asks us today. He asks our world. But we're going to start with you and me. He asks this question. Do you want to get well? Kind of obvious, isn't it? He's there at that pool waiting for the stirring of the water. Do you want to get well? My friends, the risen Christ is with us to bring his healing touch, but much like the paralytic by the side of the pool, others get in the way. And for us, it may not be that we're physically restricted, but how many distractions and fears and doubts and disappointments pull us away? from God's healing presence, God's healing desire for us. How many distractions take us away? But The good news is that the prophet Malachi reminds us that the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And so when we realize that we are the paralytic by the side of the pool, yes, I did say that, when we realize that we are the paralytic in the story by the side of the pool, There is one activity, just one, that leads to healing grace. Just one. And that is crying out to Jesus. Crying out to Jesus. But notice this. Jesus first meets the man where he was, not where the man wanted to be. He meets him right where he is. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, we read. When Jesus saw him lying there 
and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So Jesus steps right into his condition. He steps right into his suffering and he steps right into his pain right where he was. Isn't that what the cross is about for you and me? Jesus steps right into our condition. He steps right into our suffering. He steps right into our pain. He even steps right into our failure and our sin. The fact that Jesus noticed this man, just the fact that he even saw him and noticed him, that alone itself was healing grace. Do you want to be well? Man, imagine what those words did to him already before anything happened. But here's what we need to see. There was no way this man was going to strategize his way to healing. There was no way that he could leverage his influential relationships. He looked at Jesus and said, I have no one. In his world, he was viewed as someone to be avoided. Watch, watch the pool. Watch what's happening. It's filled with those who cared for themselves first, who said, I'm looking out for number one. I'm going to make sure my situation's set up. He says this, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Get out of my way. I'm going, I'm going to get what I want. It was happening then too. Who would have figured? And no way was he going to buy his way into the pool because those gathered around that pool, the suffering, the invalids of that day especially, often lived in poverty. So in other words, he was physically broken, emotionally defeated, relationally abandoned, economically deprived, and he was in a crowd of people like him, yet he was profoundly alone. The man was helpless without someone to do something for him. That's the man at the pool. Where are you today? Where are you? Where are you in these days? I'm not asking about your geographical position. I'm not asking about your economic position. I'm not asking about your political position. I'm not even asking about your physical position, your physical condition. All those things could be important, but they can also serve as great distractions. Where is your soul? right now, in the noise and the chaos of the world we live in. A world where every one of us, in some way, has been hit by the shrapnel of woundedness and pain all around us. And the truth is, none of us are immune to that. Some of us hide it better than others, but trying to put on some emotional, relational, financial, material, or spiritual Teflon coat in hopes that it'll just bounce right off or slide right off in hopes that we won't get hit by the shrapnel of suffering is a feeble exercise. So where is your soul and what piece of shrapnel has hit you? The levels of loss and grief and anxiousness and uncertainty and anger and animus that have hit us as a culture and in our own lives. 
are often places where we actually suffer silently, but they're real. We are tempted to put on the good face, especially when we come to church, by the way, to put on the good face, even with God. But here's the challenge of that. God doesn't meet us at the good face. He's not, he doesn't care about us putting on the good face. God meets us in the honesty and the vulnerability of our need of him. And we hate the thought, especially with our American exceptionalism, we hate that thought that we may be weak or we may be, have a need or we may be less than. But that is the place where the grace Jesus offers us meets us. Two weeks ago, I preached on the, the Apostle Paul walking down the road to Damascus, and Jesus meets him. Well, later on, Paul writes about what Jesus did for him. Paul said this, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will boast all the more about, gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So what do we do with that? What do we, what do, we do with <laughs> his power is made perfect in my weaknesses, so I'm going to embrace my weaknesses. That's so counterintuitive to everything I've ever been taught, especially growing up. Weakness was a sign of weakness. But I think Briggs gets at it a little bit when he says this. What do we do with this? We do not attempt to hide the brokenness. Instead, we attempt to see the fissures, to behold the brokenness, and invite Jesus to usher forth healing and wholeness. Do you want to get well? You see, the point of the question from Jesus at some level is to acknowledge for this man to acknowledge on his own that he could not get well. For this man to acknowledge that he needed what only Jesus can give him. So the man opens himself to the one who could bring the healing he needed. Somehow he opens himself to him. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well and he picked up his mat and walked. That's an amazing story. But here's my question. When was the man healed? Was he healed when Jesus said, get up, when Jesus spoke to him? Was he healed when, when the man within himself said, well, I'm going to stand? When was he healed? We really don't know what the, what the schematic would be if we could put it out on a schematic or on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet. This is how it happened. We don't know. I think the man didn't just pop right up. I think the man was probably a little stunned. I think he was probably confused. I think he had doubts and fears. He had not stood for at least 30 years, maybe never. Think about that. 38 years in a world where the life expectancy was somewhere between 40 and 50 years old. So his life, he had never stood, more than likely. And Jesus tells him to do this when there's no evidence of healing. There's no evidence. All around him, there's these people that are not getting healed or are trying to figure out how they could do it on their own in this magical way. 
And this man's right here, and he says, stand up. There's no evidence. And get this. Reading the text, Jesus doesn't even lend him a hand. Jesus, what is up with that? Now, we don't know the answer to those questions, but the point of it all is not the when or the how or the what. The point is the who. That's the point. The who. He didn't trust in a when or a how or a what. He trusted in a who. This man trusted Jesus with his physical brokenness, his emotional defeat, and his relational abandonment. I wonder, and I've been wondering this question all week long, I wonder where is it in my life that I need to stand up into the healing grace of God? I just need to stand up into the healing grace of Jesus. You know, most places in need of healing, most places, are actually not evident on the outside. Yes, we pray for the healing of infirmities and sicknesses and diseases and physical injuries, and I believe that is a call to the church. We are to pray for physical healing we don't dictate to God how that healing works out. But I'm looking around, I'm looking at the room right now, and I see some people where God healed them. Maybe through a surgeon, maybe through some medication, maybe in some other ways, maybe a counselor. I believe God used that. I also know of people who have been healed by God, who've been touched by God. And the doctors went, We don't know what happened, but you're good. So I believe in praying for the physical healing, but most healing that takes place is not evident on the outside because the deeper wounds are the wounds that are unseen. I promise you the greater healing for this man wasn't that he could walk. It was that someone saw him, someone touched him, that he was given back his relationships, that he was given back some kind of normalcy in his life, that he could you imagine the emotional pain this man had for 38 years being treated like a piece of garbage? Walked right by. I think the greater healing in his life was not that he could walk. It was that he could live as never before. So I wonder, because the deeper wounds are the wounds that are unseen. Choices that have separated us from God and others. The sense of unforgiveness of ourselves and the slave of shame. Emotional, relational, sexual abuse that has scarred the heart and life. Rejection, blaming, name-calling, all weapons that inflict wounds especially wielded by social media. Never have we been more injured internally in the name of virtual reality and friendship. 
the crisis of anxiety that is left in the wake of cultural and social instability and the depths of depression, the loss of trust in relationships that were once life-giving, institutions that were once stabilizing, and a society that was once encouraging. You see, the greater healing of the man at the pool was at the point of the unseen wounds. But that first required the man to be vulnerable to Jesus. His first step. What's your first step? What's my first step? Maybe the first step is to have an honest conversation with your medical doctor. Stop putting that appointment off, that, you know, that nagging pain. Or Maybe it's the courageous choice to pick up the phone and call the therapist, the counselor. Because you're in a place of darkness and you're not going to get out by yourself. Maybe it's the willingness to call that friend and say, I just need coffee. To call that trusted friend and say, will you be with me? I can't tell you how many times people have healed me because they just sat and listened to me as I drank coffee. And I pray God that maybe I've had that same opportunity with others, but... Maybe it's just calling your friend saying, can we just get coffee? Or maybe, maybe it's turning to God and asking him to draw near to you. Asking for his forgiveness. Maybe it's just the vulnerability. Remember, the question, do you want to get well, first points to the man's inability. So maybe it's just, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God. Whatever it is, that's healing. Maybe it's turning to the one, however it is, whatever way, and just saying, as you hear the question, do you want to get well, and looking at him saying yes. Gerard Briggs, again, last quote, says, Jesus longed for people to be free and whole. Healing at its foundational level is about spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, and psychological freedom. That's the salvation of Jesus at work. And I don't know if you noticed, but the word salvation, the root word of the word salvation is the word salve. Salve. This man, he tried everything that we often try. His culture's idea of wholeness and fulfillment and spirituality, the pool, didn't heal the man. The man's great faith and religiosity, his, his, his um, um, heritage of the faith, well, he didn't even answer the question from Jesus. All he did was talk about his limits. There's no faith there. Maybe the faith was just being honest with God. It was not his great strength or his strategy or his superiority or his self-determination. This guy was completely weak. And as we see, Jesus is the one who initiated it. Rather, it was the salve of Jesus' very presence and power and his acknowledgement and care 
A man trusted that. Not the how, not the when, not the who, but the, not the what, but the who. I was recently reading from the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. And I was reminded that when that was written in the 6th century B.C., that the time, it was a time of international turbulence and uncertainty. Um, the people had lost hope that everything would change. They would be living under the grip of this authoritarian leader in Babylonian exile. Even the prophet himself loses the love of his life. His wife is referred to in the Bible as his delight. And she dies. And the choices of the people he's ministering to are separating them from God. So it was this world that was filled with isolation and disorientation and and political and, and global instability and pain and grief. You would think it was 2021, but it was 6th century B.C. But in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, we find words that are our words, words that are for us. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God himself will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And that is God's invitation to you and me today. To recognize that we all need healing, the world needs healing, and the church needs healing. But before we can be any part of that healing, we must first look to God for his healing in each of our lives. The world needs healers. But we first must attend to the question to ourselves. Do you want to get well? Where is the wound in you that needs the healing grace of God? Maybe there's a spiritual need, a sin that needs to be forgiven, or shame to need to be delivered from, or a temptation to be overcome, or maybe there's a physical need in your life. It's just beating you down. Your body's betraying you. You're, you're concerned about what what it's going to lead to. You need God's physical touch. Maybe it's strength you need for a trial. Maybe there's an emotional need you have to find his peace. Maybe it's a relational wound. And there's been many of those in recent years. A relational wound that has robbed you of joy. A marriage that's in need of healing. A loss in relationships. A family wound you've just been carrying around for maybe even decades. Do you want to get well? That's not a magic silver bullet that promises we will not encounter suffering and trouble in the world. It's not a guarantee that healing will come as we determine it to come, the way we want it to come. But it's an invitation to turn to the one we can trust, one we can turn to, the risen Christ who comes with healing on his wings. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And as they're coming, there's, there's a lot more to the story in John chapter 5, and I would invite you to look at it. How the man overcame the limitations imposed by others on him. How Jesus brought the fullest healing to the man beyond his walking. How the man could not help but tell others. The end of the story is the man's telling others 
about how Jesus healed him. But we're going to leave it here. This past Wednesday, during the Word and Prayer, I quoted Christine Kane. I shared these words. Take everything to God, who is the only one who can do something about everything. Take everything to God, who is the only one who can do something about everything. So I want to invite you today to take this to Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? And this morning, we're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time. We're going to invite anyone who would like to come to be anointed for healing to come. No one's going to probe or ask, and well, what do you want us to specifically pray for? Because we're not, we're not inviting you to our prayers. We're inviting you to Jesus. And we're just going to ask Jesus to bring his healing to you for whatever way. If you want to come and kneel, this is what we would ask. Out of care for one another, we would invite you just to leave space. And you can sit on the front seat. If you can't kneel, you can sit on one of the chairs. Or you can stand to the side and we can seek God's healing together. Come to the one who has healing on his wings. Someone's out there stirring the water saying, come on, this will do it. It's a distraction. Rather, Jesus himself invites us to come to him. So I invite you this morning, if you'd like to come and kneel or sit, our pastors are just going to come to you. We're just going to anoint you with oil, as scripture calls us to. And we're just going to pray a very brief prayer for healing for you. I invite you to come. Come. Come and be healed. Come and seek healing from Jesus today. If space at the altar, if you want to sit at a chair, come and be healed. We're gonna, we, we see you, and we'll find our way to you. You can just kneel. You can sit. Our pastors are sanitizing their hands, and we're going to make sure we're going to do this in a way of care and safety. Just come and be healed. Come and seek Jesus. We're going to sing the song, The Stand. It starts by talking about our our brokenness. But it ends with us praising him for who he is. So as we sing, let's pray together. Let's sing together.